The impact of an additional tax, a final primer for Election Day. The countdown moves forward. Tuesday's decision. From News Talk 94.1 and Lake Rock 95.9, your chance to hear where the candidates stand, their background, their interests. Election 2020. Meet the candidates. Whether it was knocking on doors, making phone calls, appearing at rallies, it was a final day of preparation today for the candidates running for office, both here in the Upper Cumberland and across the nation. Meantime, elections workers making their final preparations for tomorrow's big day. It'll be an interesting day to watch because so many people, at least in our community, have already voted. Just about 24 hours from now, we will start to see decisions in the most important national race and the races that will define our life here in the Upper Cumberland. Tonight, Meet the Candidates is your final primer for what to expect as you head to the ballot box tomorrow. Tomorrow, the residents of Van Buren County will decide on a wheel tax. The money from that wheel tax, 50% would go to the school system. 50% would go to the county's general fund. How would a wheel tax help Van Buren County? We put that question to County Mayor Greg Wilson and Director of Schools Cheryl Cole. Well, I think number one, Larry, is that it makes it fair to everybody. Um, and, And what I mean by that is, you know, when traditionally counties such as ours, small counties, um, you have one option to raise revenues, basically, uh, and that is uh, through a property tax. And the last two years, we've had a property tax increase uh, fairly significantly. About two years ago, we had a wheel tax on a ballot. It was a special election to have a wheel tax, and it was defeated by 86 votes. And when I look at that and when way we were looking at it at that time was to avert uh, a property tax for that year uh, to institute a property tax. Now, or I'm sorry, not a property tax, but a will tax. And when you do a will tax, uh, that's for everybody, um, not just the property owners. When you look at Van Buren County, you only have about, you know, we have a population of about 1,800, or I'm sorry, uh, of about 6,000, and we have about 1,800 property owners. So when you look at that number, we have a lot of people that are renting, uh, whether it's an apartment or a house or a trailer or whatever it may be, uh, that residence. They are reaping, and are uh, not shouldn't say reaping, but they're, they are able to get the same services as a property ta- uh, owner without paying any taxes to help support the county government. And that is one of the things, whether it's going to the school or whether it's going to the county uh, general, <coughs> excuse me, that is one of the things that we look at. So when you look at that, that is, it's a fair tax for all 6,000 people in our county, not just put the burden on the property owners. So when you look at what we're trying to do now is to look down the road and having everyone to pay their fair share to help avert any property tax uh, on the tax uh, property owners in the future. And I don't mean just next year. I'm talking about, you know, four, five, six, ten years down the road. 
Schools are one of the areas that uh, you are hoping to see benefit from this wheel tax. So, Cheryl, uh, do the, does the school system have significant needs that uh, have not been met because of the financial situation in the county? Our employees haven't received a raise from the county in several years, uh, and that's where I was hoping this wheel tax could help get them a pay raise. Uh, the need for for schools and you know making sure that everything uh, is up to the standards that you want though I'm sure is something that you need budget flexibility down the road we do we do and uh, we do need other revenue sources especially since the end shut down at Paul Creek Falls and that has really put uh, a burden on the school system to me but uh, we're trying to overcome that and we're doing whatever we can to make our budget work, but a property tax or the wheel tax would actually help the teachers in receiving a pay raise because they didn't get one this year. Mayor Wilson, why why is the school system, in your opinion, an area where some of this money could be focused? Well, I think Cheryl spoke about that at the very beginning of, of what she was saying. It was the, when you look at our teachers, uh, we have a, a uh, a great staff of uh, our teachers here in our county and and the retention of those teachers where we want to keep them here we have a good I shouldn't say good we have a great school system and you know when you look at that that great school system that we have the teachers are the backbone of that and and the support staff as well so when you but when you look at that you know in order to retain them um, it, it's kind of a situation we had a couple of years ago when we were not competing with uh, our EMS and um, um, our sheriff's department and the jailers. We were not being able, able to compete with surrounding counties in their salaries, and that's one thing that we done uh, with the property tax two years ago. We increased that in order to give them a raise. They hadn't had one since 2015, and we were losing people. Um, right and left. I, I mean, uh, we just could not compete. Now we're, we're we and we are not the greatest wage there is out there in, in those areas, but we are now a little a lot more competitive than what we were. And that's the same thing that what we're looking at with our educational system, with the teachers that we have, and and we have, like I say, we have great teachers, and we fully support our school systems in that aspect. So the better that we can pay them the one thing is you know is to retain and be able to keep them secondly is we can uh when there are openings we can uh recruit those that require certain certifications and things of that nature that may be hard to get they may not want to come here because they can get more money in in an adjoining county or uh something of that nature so that's where the importance is is for us here in in Van Buren County, Cheryl, they can they can simply go up the road to Sparta or go to McMinnville and and maybe make more money than than you're able to afford. That's right, but we're uh, close knit. We're more like a family, and once they get here, they usually will stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lot of veteran teachers that have been here for a long time, and uh, I want them to stay with us. Greg, where else can uh, this wheel tax money help other than education? 
Well, we, it's on the ballot for 50% toward education and 50% toward the general fund. Uh, I think one thing, when you look at the 50% going into the general fund, that we can actually look a little bit later uh, down the road, and, and I'm not, let me just say this, and uh, probably sooner than later, of that additional money there in the general fund that could possibly, and it was talked about at our last commission meeting, that number one, we could use that money to re relieve the burden on the tax, uh, property tax, uh, the property owners, I should say, of Van Buren County. Uh, it could be applied toward the school system uh, within our school. So there's several options that we can do, you know, with our latest tax increase with that that we had not long ago. Uh, we should be in good shape. Um, you know, most most county mayors are going to tell you that they're not in great shape, I guess. But, you know, for o overall, most part, uh, we should be in pretty good shape. So it's going to allow us a little flexibility there to look at it two or three different ways. Number one, of course, is the possibility of lowering the property tax. Number two is um, uh, being able to uh, adjust and help uh, more with the school system with that money. Number three is I think the most important thing is to be able to avert uh, and and not have to raise property taxes anytime soon and and distribute that um, burden of revenues for the county out to everybody uh, that lives in Van Buren County, not just the property owners. So in, in essence, and not to put words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying is that it can provide a more steady source of revenue and uh, kind of yes. help you get on a more steady platform. Yes, and that's a good point, Larry. When you look at that, you know, we, other than our sales tax, you know, and as Cheryl uh, mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, with Falkery Falls in shutting down some time ago, it has affected our sales tax, tax uh, uh, drastically. Not only there, you know, when you have that running through the week, especially during the holiday, I'm sorry, not the holiday, but the vacation season, um, when you have that sales tax that's missing from just that restaurant, that restaurant generated a lot of funds, revenue for Van Buren County. So when you miss that, she, uh, with her school system, she misses that sales tax. The county general misses that sales tax. The people that own businesses outside the park, you know, at the southern or the northern entrance of the park, those five to 600 people that normally would be going and going to the inn, either on a weekly or a weekend basis, are no longer traveling there for that. So... If they're not traveling, they're not stopping at our businesses, they're not eating at that restaurant, you know, hopefully by August of next year, unless there's any other delays, that end should be open. Um, hopefully. Uh, we're going to hope and pray that it is. Um, We've missed out a lot on the hotel-motel tax. Yes, yes, and the hotel-motel tax is also, of course, you know, the county gets 42% uh, into the general debt uh, uh, service fund, the school system gets 42% of that, and so and the city of Spencer gets 16% of that hotel-motel tax. So when you look at that, that's gone. And, and of course, you know, there are um, also jobs associated with that. You know, we lost, I think, all total for Van Buren County, we lost 42 positions uh, when the end closed. 
Well, of course, when you do that, people are going to go outside the county. They're going to move to another county, possibly. You know, we've got some jobs that are moving in here in the in the last little bit. So what we've been concentrating on, trying to concentrate on, is to help expand our current industry through Acumet and Suncoat. Uh, but also, too, we're recruiting smaller businesses that uh, in, uh, that will provide, you know, 5, 10, 15 jobs at a time um, for Van Buren County. We've got about three of those that will be coming, coming about pretty soon. Cheryl Cole, Craig Wilson, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank, thank you, Larry. Over the last week, we've introduced you to the men and women who want to serve you in Nashville. Where do they stand? How do they want to improve the districts that they plan to serve? In the final hours before the polls open, the candidates for Tennessee House and Senate, and who they are. Cameron Sexton, welcome to Meet the Candidates. Hey, thank you for having me. Is there ever a point where you say to yourself, do I want to do this again? Do I want to put myself out there again? No, not yet. I mean, I, what I've always told people is when, when they get to that point, that's the day they just they probably need to retire. Uh, I haven't been that way yet. I wake up in the morning and still feel like that there's a lot of work to do, and I, I still want to get out of bed and continue doing this, so I, I feel good about continuing in that direction. Cameron Sexton, why should someone vote for you Tuesday? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to represent the Upper Cumberland area, and I think we've done a wonderful job. We're continuing to meet the needs and, and what we need to do to be successful, whether it's working with our elected officials, our educators, uh, the school board, working with our constituents, small businesses, our uh, tourism venue. We've done a wonderful job working with everybody, making sure that we are successful in our area. But at the end of the day, I don't take anything for granted. I still need people's support and vote. I think my record speaks for itself. We've done a very good job of putting people before politics, like I said, 10 years ago. And I appreciate the opportunity to continue serving and also being speaker of this great state of Tennessee. Cameron Sexton on the ballot Tuesday. As always, sir, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Carol Abney, welcome to Meet the Candidates. Thank you so much for having me. Why step in to this political arena? Why did it interest you? That is a great question. What happened was I went back to college at Community College at Volunteer State in Livingston, and I started that in 2010, and I loved it so much I just kept going. My husband has a good, solid garage business in Salina. He's been here for 30 years, Randall's Garage, and we were in a position where we could send me to school. So while I was in college, it was so funny. Um, I was the grad assistant for a professor, and he used to call me the mayor of Salina. And he was always like, I know you're going to go back and be mayor of Salina. Well, that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> I came back, and of course, 2016 prompted me to get into politics, and I had never really been into politics, and I was a CPA by this time. Um, actually, I became a CPA in 2017, but I was working on getting my CPA. And the the state party asked me to run in 2018 for state representative, and I had never really thought about being in politics. I had thought of it because my professor used to say that, and I was in a lot of leadership positions, but I hadn't really, I didn't have a plan. 
So that prompted me to put my name in the arena and get a plan. And then when I ran in 2018, I was just mortified by what was happening with the state budget. And then Solana, lost, we lost our hospital in January of 2019, right after the election. And in May of 2018, I was telling people, they've moved their key people. This is coming. Our hospital is going to close. And, and of course, a lot of people thought that I was saying that because I was running for office, and I was kind of, but at the same time, it happened. So now, fast forward to now, and we've lost Fentress County's hospital. Um, Big South Fort Medical Center in Scott County is on the rocks. They, you know, they've missed payroll a couple of times. And so our district that serves 65,000 people only has one solid hospital in Macon County out of five counties. Are you proud of the job that you and your team have done, no matter what happens on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My campaign manager's name is Eric Patton. He lives in Nashville. His mama is a retired teacher from Fentress County. She still lives in Fentress County. And we have we have run a campaign that is unheard of in Tennessee. We, we've raised almost $30,000 for the poorest state house district in Tennessee. So whatever happens, we've absolutely done all we can do. Carol Abney, she is a candidate in District 38 for the Tennessee House. Carol, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Patty Sizemore, thank you for being with us. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me. Why make this run? Well, when I was looking at the, the landscape, the political landscape here in Smith County, I noticed that our current state representative had been unopposed in 2018. And prior to noticing that, I was just looking more local. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll run for Alderman, City Council, something like that, you know. Uh, but I just, I, I couldn't, after doing my research, allow her to run unopposed again. So that's why I went and got my 25 signatures right on the dot, and I'm on the ballot. How difficult a decision is it to throw your hat in the ring, so to speak? This year it was extremely difficult because uh, – the COVID pandemic had just started. We still didn't even call it COVID at the time. And uh, I was sort of late to the game. So I, it was mid-March, and, and I, I needed to go get 25 valid signatures here uh, when people didn't even want to, you know, talk to anybody face-to-face. There was a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lot of stuff we didn't know at the time. Uh, but but that was the most difficult part about it. And like I said, I ended up with 25 valid signatures right on the dot, and uh it, 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 was, it was difficult, but I'm glad I did it, and uh, I think we've come a long way this year. Uh, you know, put, putting up a pretty strong challenge, uh, well, at least much stronger than unopposed. If someone walks in to that precinct and is set to cast a vote, why should they vote for Patty Sizemore? Terry Lynn Weaver is my opponent, and I know people always hate this lesser of, of two evils argument. But the reality is that in a Republican supermajority, all she is going to be doing for, for another two-year term is pushing yes, no, or present. There's nothing that she would be adding to the debate whatsoever. She would merely be repeating what is already there. So if you vote for me, my vote will never be the deciding vote in our legislature. But my voice will always be a unique contribution, and it will always help 
shape the policy of Tennessee in a more comprehensive way. Patty Sizemore, candidate in the Tennessee State Representative race, District 40, to represent you. Patty, thanks for putting your name in the race, and thanks for joining us on Meet the Candidates. Paul Sherrill, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to come and talk with you. So why do you want to return to Nashville? Well, I... I have to give the good Lord the credit. He's the one that's made it happen for me uh, since I was elected the first time in uh, 2016. And I feel like this is what God wants me to be doing in my time of life. So we, we just want to praise God and thank God. And and we want to go back and hopefully uh, try to do more for our uh, district, uh, the, which is the 43rd district, uh, White County, about two-thirds of Warren and all of Grundy County, and hopefully for the great state of Tennessee, the people in the great state of Tennessee. So I hope we can go back and work more for for everybody. Paul Sherrill, if uh, <clears throat> someone is headed to the polls Tuesday and there's your name, why should they cast, your ba- the cast their ballot for you? Well, I feel like that, uh, well, I have competition. Uh, this time, and nobody can don't even know who the competition is, which that's great. Uh, not na- not making his name available, or not making his uh, number available, or nothing like that. So you know, there's nothing there for people. But uh, of course, I run on the Republican ticket. I'm uh, uh, feel very strongly. I'm a full fledged born uh, Republican, and and. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the Republican Party stands a whole lot better for what the Democrat Party does stand for today. And and we want to make sure that people know that uh, we are a person that stands for our Second Amendment, our freedom that our forefathers just fought for, our Constitution. Uh, and we're just out to try to help people. And, and you know, and people, people will say, well, how do you feel about the Bible? Well, the Bible is God's Word, and, you know, it's just like... Uh, Marriage is between a man and a woman, according to the Bible, that period, you know. And then, well, they think about abortion. Well, abortion is is wrong, uh, and wherever they want to say about it, but life starts at conception. Life don't start when the baby's born. It starts when it's in conception. I mean, you know, things like this, and, hey, we got farmers out there that needs help. We want to help them. We want to help our people in the medical field, and, in different departments that we want to help our schools and, and, you know, just all the fields. But, you know, here's what I want to say to people, and I try to say this every time at my ending of whatever it may be, that my home number is 931-935-8488, and my office in Nashville is 615-741-1963, uh, Miss Sherry is my assistant secretary, and I always try to ask for people's prayers, support, and vote. Paul Sherrill, candidate on Tuesday as we head to the polls. Always good to catch up with you, Paul. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Larry. Robin Deck, welcome to Meet the Candidates. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me. How hard a decision to uh, put your hat in the ring, as the old saying goes. <laughs> Um, it was a decision that I really struggled with. It's, it's something that I never really thought I would do, but, um, 
when I look at what was going on in our state legislature, I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm going to stand up and at least say something about, um, you know, what I see going on and, um, and, and bring some issues to the surface. I mean, um, that's, that's pretty much, uh, what made me decide to, um, take this leap and, and, and run for office. When you look at issues, whatever they are, from education to health care to economic development, infrastructure, whatever they are, how do you try to assess what the options are and try to make a decision? Well, I think you've got to look at all sides. Um, you've got to have some, you've got to have discussion, uh, talk, and and there's so many there's so many complexities to everything that um, I th- I do think it is important to to view all sides of all issues and to kind of step away from yourself and and what your core belief is and see what, what everybody else is saying and see and then um, research. <laughs> so so research is important to you. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Robin Deck, candidate as we go to the polls on Tuesday. Robin, it was great to get a chance to find out more about you. Thank for thank you for being part of Meet the Candidates. Okay, thanks so much for having me, Larry. Sheila Younglove, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. What has this experience been like for you over the last several months? This has been a real eye-opener. I had no idea what all went into uh, running for office, particularly at the state level. So it has been a real education of how hard candidates work. What has been around them. <laughs> yeah. What has been the most surprising part of it to you? I think the most surprising part is and I guess it shouldn't be surprising, is um, how many good people come out of the woodwork and, you know, are glad to talk to you. I I didn't think, you know, that people would be so receptive, but they've been, you know, delightfully receptive. Sheila, how do you evaluate decisions when you, uh, as a legislature, are going to be forced to make a decision on any type of issue? How do you evaluate it? What do you look at? I research a lot. You know, as an attorney, I have to research things all the time. And so I do a lot of research. I interview people who are in the know on a particular topic. And I like to get, you know, several people so that I can get a complete picture, you know, not just people who support one particular piece of legislation, but maybe those who are opposed to it. I like to to find out all the views, do my research, and then, you know, come to a decision about if I think a particular piece of legislation is something we need or something that, you know, we can do. Uh, and then I think that you also have to talk to your constituents. You can't forget where you came from. You have to talk to them, get their, you know, insights, and let that help you craft legislation or propose amendments to legislation that will you know, help solve some of the issues that people are concerned about. I don't think you can just do it in a vacuum. You have to, you know, include your constituents in it. Sheila Younglove is one of the candidates running in the Senate, the 16th District, representing Warren and Van Buren counties, as well as other communities uh, in and around that southern part of the Upper Cumberland. Sheila, we certainly appreciate you spending some time with us today, and good luck. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Terry Lynn Wiver, good to have you with us on Meet the Candidates. Yes, it's good to be with you, Larry. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So uh, why do you want to return to Nashville? Well, let's see. That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, I'll tell you, um, Larry, uh, first and foremost, I enjoy working for the people of the, I call them the fabulous 40th folks. Um, they, um, I enjoy serving. I enjoy being a part of discussions that um, bring results. They don't come as quickly as I would like them to come in a lot of ways. Um, but then that's a good thing that they don't. It's just a process. So I want to return to continue uh, what we have done since my tenure here, uh, serving the people. And that is, you know, making Tennessee a star state and a state that other states in the nation can come to and look to and see how we've done it. So, and Tennessee is leading in a lot of those ways. And I want to return to continue that process. There's a few things I'd like to see accomplished in my, in my little sandbox of passions. So um, I'm hoping that the folks will uh, continue their confidence and trust in me as we approach this election cycle gosh it's in the next few days and then of course a new brand new session will start in january when someone goes to the poll tuesday and casts a ballot what do you want them to think about when they see your name there well i want them to to think that i work for them i serve them um i take their voice to the Capitol. I want them to know that when I walk into the chamber and I sit at the desk, that I, I see their faces. I know a lot of, I know so many of people in my district. I want them to know that they can call me. They can call my cell phone number, which I don't have an office in my district. I'm sitting at my office. It's in my office in my home because <laughs> we, my husband and I are self-employed. So, I just want them to know that they can trust me, that I'll always be honest with them. And if I can't do anything, I will tell them, but I'll find somebody who can, because I certainly don't know everything about all the issues. But uh, I will do what I can to put them in the position where they, they can get their questions or their concerns answered. So I would hope that when they go to vote for me, they would see me as a helper an ally and someone who believes in strongly in our Tennessee values and our uh, Constitution. Terry Lynn Weaver, state representative, candidate in the 40th district, the fabulous 40, as she calls it. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. You're welcome, and thank you for calling me, Larry. Have a blessed day. The Trump-Biden race is not the only decision that will impact Washington tomorrow. Tennessee will elect a new senator to head to Washington. The Upper Cumberland will elect someone to represent our district in the U.S. House. Bill Haggerty, welcome to Meet the Candidates. Very great to be with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. So why do you want this job? You know, um, want is an unusual choice of words. If you ask me to pick the more operative word in my thinking and in our prayers 
it's because we feel like we have to. Um, my wife and I have four young kids. We've, we've thought and prayed very hard about the direction our nation is going. As, as you may know, I was serving as United States Ambassador to Japan until um, about a little over a year ago when we left to come and run for this open United States Senate seat. And we saw our nation heading in a direction that we just couldn't imagine. Um, and looking at our children, thinking if we didn't step up and do everything we could to support the freedom and the opportunity that America stands for, we didn't do everything that we could to, to step up and stand up against the threat of socialism that the Democrats are really pressing on our nation. How could we look our children in the eye, our grandchildren hopefully someday, saying that we had the ability, God has, God has uh, blessed me with, with, with certain experiences as a businessman, uh, as the person that ran economic development for our state the last time that we turned out of the, the recession back in 2011 uh, when we were coming out of the, the last recession that we were in and someone that's had the, the incredible experience of serving as the ambassador to the third largest economy in the world, that's Japan, who is our most important strategic ally in the Asia-Pacific. We're dealing with North Korea, parts of Russia, and China every day. And I understand the threat of China very clearly. I dealt with them militarily, diplomatically, economically. They're a predator at every level. We need somebody that understands the international threats and is able to stand up to them, but also somebody that's willing to come back and stand up to the threats that we face domestically here as a nation, too, because this election is going to be boiling down to a freedom between socialism and freedom. I want to talk about your jobs specifically with the, the Department of Economic and Community Development and also the, the Japan ambassadorship, but start with just uh, a little bit about you yourself. You grew up in Middle Tennessee? That's right, Larry. I'm from Sumner County. We had a small farm a place called Castalian Springs, um, and I'm from, from the Gallatin area. People will know that. Uh, grew up in a very modest background. Uh, my mom, a career school teacher, she started actually teaching school at age 19 at Clarksville High School, and she's taught around the Middle Tennessee area. My father, uh, a veteran, uh, a road builder. Uh, you know, I, I raised cattle and pigs as a kid. I was an Eagle Scout. Um, I was president of my FFA chapter when I was a boy. Uh, worked my way through college uh, on the road crew, shoveling asphalt alongside my dad. I was the first male in my family to graduate from college, and that gave me a tremendous opportunity to um, to, to go out and create a business career that I could have never imagined as a as a young boy growing up in Gallatin. Um, I, I've been very fortunate in my life to be successful in business, to have a career that's taken me in, in, in you know a, a lot of different places. Uh, and a lot of different successes, starting and building businesses, and also working, um, you know, in, in a variety of arenas that really have helped me understand the importance of, of economic growth and how important a job is to the well-being of a family. I, I've been there before as a kid. I, I know what it's like when my dad lost his job. Um, it's it's tough on a family, um, and, and having a good job, you know, cures a lot of social ills, and so. That, is, that has been my focus, a businessman, a, 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 someone that cares a great deal about Tennessee. I love this state. And when we were coming out of the last recession and transitioning from a Democrat administration to a Republican one, the governor-elect reached out to me and said, uh, would you come in and help run the Economic Development Department for our state? So I came in in January 2011 to run the Economic and Community Development Department for the state of Tennessee. At that time, 
Tennessee's unemployment rate was higher than the national average. We were in the bottom half of all states, Larry. And we had a big budget deficit, too. Uh, over a billion dollars uh, was, was left to us in the previous administration, had spent over 100% of the budget for the Economic Development Department. I didn't even know you could do that. But the legislature allows them to overcommit to some of the things that they work on. So we really had a, a, a huge challenge ahead of us. I went right to work as a business person, restructured the department, eliminated over 40% of the positions in the department, not because the staff were doing anything wrong. We just needed to save money as a state and get back to a balanced budget. So that saved millions of dollars for Tennessee taxpayers, and that also allowed me to restructure the department. So instead of having everybody sitting in the Tennessee Tower in Nashville, Tennessee, we went to a regional structure. We opened an office there in the Upper Cumberland. We did that around the state. Bill Haggerty, as uh, folks go to the polls next week across the Upper Cumberland and cast their ballot, why should they vote for you? I one want to say that uh, I very much appreciate it and want to work hard for every vote in Tennessee. I've been out campaigning um, every day, full-time, for over a year right now to, to earn the respect and the trust and the confidence of Tennessee voters. And I want them to know that I understand that conservative values are Tennessee values. And those are the values that I'm going to take to Washington. I'm going to stand up for our Tennessee values. And I'm going to make certain that we see more freedom and more opportunity in America. And I'm going to push back as hard as I can against the Democrats' thrust towards socialism. I mean, I think the Democratic Party today is unrecognizable to the Democrats of, of two, three, four decades ago. You know, when you think about the policies that, that uh, you know, we're seeing coming out of Washington today, it is just a push towards socialism. This election is boiling down to a simple test. Do you want socialism or do you want freedom? If you want freedom, I hope that you'll vote for me. And I hope that you'll all keep me in your prayers and my family. Bill Haggerty, candidate for U.S. Senate from the state of Tennessee. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Mark Rita Bradshaw, thank you for being with us. Today. How are you today? We're doing great. We're glad to have you aboard for Meet the Candidates. It's our chance to kind of find out about the people who are running for office. So let me start just with uh, your story because you really kind of captured the, the, the state's attention back in the August primary. How, what's this been like for you, this whole process? Well, I've always worked with people for over 20 years working on uh, issues around the environment and just being an organizer in the community on workers' rights, social justice, making sure trade policies are fair, and even fighting for education. So this is just in my wheelhouse. Was it hard to throw your name in the ring, so to speak? Look, I had obstacles. The first obstacle was I put my hat in a race with mostly millionaires and ultra billionaires that's what our u.s senate is representative of and i only had two dollars and 18 cents in my personal account and i knew that if i wanted a voice for working people that i was going to have to work hard to make sure that we have a voice in washington dc that doesn't get disconnected and build our communities up to make sure that we have healthy and safe communities you are the exact opposite then of what we all kind of have come to think of as washington of career politicians. You're, I guess, what the framers intended for those in Congress to be? Absolutely. When you look at the U.S. Senate, it should be comprised of all different types of ethnicities, people with different religions, 
and also people from different regions all over the state. Uh, so when you look at who's normally represented, the power usually comes from East and West Tennessee, East and Middle Tennessee. So a candidate actually coming from West Tennessee has really caught the attention of the whole state. And the fact that I've been to all 95 counties but one, uh, and like I've been through them one time, and now we're going through for the second time. And so we should be finishing up our 95-county Tennessee tour where I have talked to small business owners, workers, uh, and and people and constituents all over the state, even just uh, teachers, nurses, just everyone in the state of Tennessee that you you should think that have a, should have a voice in the U.S. Senate, especially right now during a pandemic when Congress has been slow to actually pass a stimulus bill when working people need help in order to stay safe in this pandemic. I want to ask you about that tour in a moment, but before we do that, uh, let's step back for a second and just Share with us, if you would, kind of your story, kind of how you came to this point and uh, uh, your upbringing and, 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 and what, what kind of centers you as a, as a possible candidate for Congress. Look, I am a family-oriented person. I came from a big family, uh, and, you know, we're, tight, we're close-knit family. I am a single mom with a son. I had a working-class salary, and the year that I gave birth to my son, was also the year that we found out that we had a national priority list Superfund site in our neighborhood that was making people uh, die and get sick. And so what was there was, was actually chemicals made to kill people and plants very effectively, and even weaponized viruses was stored in this landfill. And so I watched my great-grandmother die the year that I was learning how to breastfeed my son, and after her death, many more people died. So my mom with community members and our family, we started a nonprofit organization to address environmental policies, why they were not being enforced the same when it comes to black, brown, indigenous, and poor white communities. That's called environmental racism. And so the environmental justice movement addresses that by building healthy and safe communities. It's actually a legal term that we have a framework to make sure that all communities have clean air, clean water, clean soil. And you can't talk about the environment without talking about how communities are developed, what kind of jobs are coming into our communities. And we want to make sure no matter who you are in the state of Tennessee, you have an environment with a just transition away from pollution, high quality education, and also making sure that this economy works for working people too, and not just the ultra rich, because right now, if you look at Wall Street, they've been saved three times within a 48-hour period during the beginning part of the pandemic. But when it comes to working people, they still can't get it together for a second stimulus. And right now, everybody needs health care, no matter who you are in this pandemic. If you're in the United States, if we're going to get past the pandemic, people need to be able to freely go to the doctor so they can get diagnosed early so we can have more people on the other side of COVID that's alive than dead. Finally, Marquita, when someone walks into their precinct Tuesday and they've got to make a decision, why should they vote for you? Do you want somebody that's talking about the issues and not dividing people and feeding racism and hatred? Do you want somebody that's going to bring somebody together on the issues that we all agree upon when it comes to having healthy and safe places where people live, learn, work, worship, and recreate? 
do you want someone that's going to fight for your family the same as they would fight for their family? And if so, vote Marquita Bradshaw. And I just thank you so much. And it's been my pleasure to talk to you, Marquita Bradshaw for U.S. Senate. Christopher Finley, thank you for being with us. Glad to be here. Why did you make this decision in your life to make a run at this office? Well, you know, that was kind of a tough one. Um, I hadn't really seen, uh, at least on the Democratic side, uh, candidates that I totally agreed with. I'm probably what you would call an old school Democrat, Joel Evans Democrat, much more moderate in my viewpoints. And uh, and uh, I, I like to think that I'm a reasonable person. And I just, I just saw extremes actually on both sides. On the, on the Republican side, I thought that the candidates were much too extreme. And then on the Democratic side, I thought the candidates were basically just the mirror image being much too extreme on that side. And when I would speak to my friends, my neighbors, people I knew, they, they seemed to agree with me that they sure would, you know, like to see somebody with much more of a moderate voice you know, representing them in Congress. And that's kind of one one of the reasons I ran. Your Facebook page says that I'm running for you and not running for office. What do you mean by that? Well, when you run for office, it's almost like uh, a career uh, move. Uh, You you start seeing individuals like the former uh, congressperson for this district leaving this district, leaving her seat, and running for governor. You know, it's a stepping stone. You see congressmen and women running for Senate, uh, you know, and and it's just like, uh, you know, you start out as a stock boy and you work your way up and want to be president of the company. And I'm much more model myself after Joel Evans, who served the district, for 30 years and never sought the run for the Senate or vice president or any of these other offices that, that come available. Uh, I think, uh, let's see, before the last one, I think one of the other previous congressmen uh, wanted to run for governor. And, of course, they didn't get it And both times. And to me, it's much more important that you have someone that, is there much more for serving the people rather than using it as a stepping stone to get notoriety and move on up to another political position. What is the story of your life and career to this point? (laughs) Well, you know, as I was talking to you before, um, my family moved into this area in the early 1800s. As a matter of fact, I have a great-great-grandfather that uh, on the Hampton side, because I'm from White County and I'm related to the Hamptons around Hampton's Crossroads, uh, he had a very interesting comment about his political career. He was asked to serve in the State House and did, and when he came back, he was asked to serve it again. This is around the 1870s, and he said, I have never witnessed more foolishness and waste of time in my entire life, and I will not uh, accept the nomination, nor will I serve again in the state house. And 
you know, you hear the complaint that a lot of things don't get done and there's too much confusion and there's a waste of time. It's nothing new. I mean, we're talking over 100 years. And, you know, I take that, but he still served his community by being justice of the peace for many, many years. And I guess in my family, uh, my father was a banker for 33 years, and he helped people. He was one of those bankers that would do a handshake, and he'd say, you need to get a car, just go out there and get it, and then you bring it in, and we'll, we'll bring in the title, and we'll do the paperwork. Uh, so it's I come from a family of, of service, and, you know, to me, that seems to be lacking nowadays. People are just more out for themselves than they are about, you know, trying to help other people. Um, I do volunteer work and things like that. But when I graduated, of course, I graduated from Watt County High School, and then I went uh, attended Tennessee Tech, and I got involved in, in, in service organization, service uh, opportunities when I was in a fraternity, and then I graduated from Tech. And I got an accounting degree with a history minor, and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and worked in accounting. Then I switched over into management and worked in restaurant business for the last 30 years, which has given me an opportunity to speak to people on a daily basis. Christopher Finley, when someone walks uh, into their election precinct in a couple of days and casts a ballot, why should they consider you? Well, I think all the reasons that I've already discussed is that I'm a reasonable individual, and something that has been severely lacking is accountability. Uh, You should be held accountable if you're serving in office. And how do you do that? You have town hall meetings. So my my core promise to anyone that if you want an accountable individual serving you in Congress, then vote for me, because as soon as this COVID dies down, I will be having town hall meetings throughout the district and let people, veterans, if you've got a problem with the VA, uh, uh, anyone that's got problems with their Social Security, uh, any issue that you have with the federal government, I will make myself accessible. And not only will I be there, I will spend my time with you, and we'll work together to solve any problem that you have. So that's what I offer, and uh, and respectfully, I ask for, for your vote to do those things, and we can work together and make this country even greater than it is already. John Rose, welcome to Meet the Candidates. Good morning. Thank you for having me on this morning. You know, I was thinking as we were preparing that it, it almost is hard to believe that it's been two years since we first sat down and did this discussion. Has it gone that fast for you? It, it really has. Uh, the last uh, two years have just been a whirlwind, so it's really hard to believe. But it's been uh, very interesting and very fulfilling, and hopefully uh, uh, I feel like we've done a good job for the people of the 6th District of Tennessee. What would you say are some of the biggest learnings that you have had over those two years? Well, uh, regretfully, one of the things probably that's been a real eye-opening experience for me is the degree to which the majority controls uh, what happens in the House of Representatives. Uh, I probably had never really uh, had a reason to ponder that, but uh, Nancy Pelosi as, uh, as Speaker of the House and leader of the 
majority uh, uh, Democrats in the House. Uh, she controls the agenda. She controls what we discuss, what we vote on, uh, whether or not we can amend the bills that come to the floor, and 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 really every other every other aspect of how the House operates. And so uh, that has been a that has been a, quite a stark learning experience for me. Is the experience is it is it hard? Um, to deal with because of that kind of sense of gridlock? Well, it is. And I, you know, it is frustrating uh, uh, serving in the House because of the pace of things. And uh, part of that is because of the current, uh, uh, you know, gridlock that we see. But part of that is because the uh, founding fathers wanted the process to be difficult. and so I take solace in that. You know, there's a reason why we have the old adage, uh, it will take an act of Congress. Uh, we say that when something is really difficult to, to accomplish. And there's a reason uh, why that adage arose. And, and the Founding Fathers wanted the Congress, uh, they wanted our federal legislative branch of government to move in a very uh, deliberate way. And they achieved what they sought to achieve in that. How much of your job as uh, uh, serving this region is about uh, working on issues and problems that people have? It, it is a it is a very big part of the job. Uh, as many people know, my uh, our chief of staff is uh, former Congressman Van Hillary, and Congressman Hillary told me early on. He said, "John, I know that you probably won't believe this until you've been in office for a while, but." The, the most gratifying part of this job will be uh, the things that you do that seem like small things at the time, but solving uh, the, you know, but are solving real problems that constituents that residents of the 6th District have that they bring to us and we're able to intervene on their behalf uh, before the various agencies of the federal government and help them solve their problems. And that is very true. And so, um, lots of times people wonder why members of Congress have uh, staffs and, uh, and you know, the number of people helping. And that's because there are a lot of issues that arise, uh, you know, each day that, that we're able to help intervene for folks and solve their problems. And it can be something as simple as obtaining a passport in a timely fashion to, uh, you know, more, you know, more critical issues like helping a veteran receive the benefits that they need and that they've earned from their service to this country. And, and so we, we have seen that indeed. I've learned that lesson already. And, and uh, uh, we're happy to work hard every day to try to solve problems. Not every problem are we able to solve. The, the bureaucracy is uh, difficult to navigate, as many people have, have learned the hard way. But uh, very often we are able to intervene and help help people get to the solution that they need. Finally, Representative John Rose, why should an Upper Cumberland resident cast their ballot for you Tuesday? Well, thank you, uh, Larry, for that question. Um, You know, I am a lifelong uh, Tennessean, excuse me, an eighth-generation Tennessean. Uh, I've spent my career prior to going to Congress uh, a little less than two years ago in the private sector. I believe that the Founding Fathers wanted a citizen legislature. They wanted folks to go and serve for a season and come home. And I've made that commitment uh, as I ran. Uh, I ran on the on the platform of taking Tennessee values to Washington and getting Washington out of Tennessee. And so I think that 
uh, you know, I would ask the folk, ask for everyone for their vote on November 3rd or in the early voting the remainder of this week. And I will commit to you that I will uh, go to Washington and, and do my very best to express the views of the people of the 6th District, support our president, and continue to work to protect life, protect the Second Amendment, uh, work to ensure that our border is protected and that our laws are enforced and uh, continue to work with the president to revive the greatest economy in the history of the world and and bring jobs uh, and opportunities back to Tennesseans. For complete coverage of election 2020 and the news that matters to you, follow News Talk 94.1 on Facebook and Twitter. It is decision time, both on the national level and in the races that affect the Upper Cumberland. Don't forget, we'll have exclusive election coverage all day tomorrow on News Talk 94.1. Then beginning at 6, wall-to-wall coverage, including the latest returns from across the Upper Cumberland. That's all tomorrow on News Talk 94.1 and Light Rock 95.9. Thanks to the candidates for agreeing to spend some time with us to share their thoughts on this important election. And thanks to you for listening.